that was kind of ominous there. That was nice. Um, not to take away from the awesome um, just worship experience that these students provided. Can we give them just a hand? It's always, it's always humbling. Um, just, I just get, it gets me, gets me emotional. I'm sorry. It's humbling when these students come up here and they serve and, and they give their time and their gifts and their energy. Because taking the stage is hard. This is hard stuff. You're putting yourself out there. There's a spotlight literally on you. And so um, I'm incredibly proud of, of you students. And so, um, yeah. So let's get going this morning before I just turn to a mess. I don't know. Becoming a dad has like just really created like such an emotional being inside of me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone can relate. Uh, but, and par- partially too, like I, 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 I was able to lead these guys in student ministry for for. A long time. I mean, so I've, I've literally watched some of these students grow up and, and grow in these gifts, and so it's such a cool thing. So um, there we go. That's not even what I'm talking about this morning. So <laughs> hello, Waypoint. Um, uh, I, my name's Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if, you've, if you've never met me before, hello. If you're new here, welcome. So glad you're here uh, today. I'm grateful for you. Uh, today we are starting a new series called Exile, where we are going to be exploring the book of Daniel um, over the course of the next four weeks, um, which I realized is sadly and unfortunately not enough time to go through the entire book. Um, however, however, I am really excited for what we can learn in the book of Daniel from his story, from, from how he lived, who he was, um, and, and even some of the, the, the prophecies um, over just the next four weeks. So I'm, I'm really excited, um, and I'm, I'm excited for you guys to kind of come alongside me in this journey as we go through this, this book together. Um, so during this time, though, I want to encourage you or challenge you to spend some time in, over the next four weeks reading the book of Daniel. Um, so we're going to read through chapter one today. So covered, you can check that box, all right? Chap- we're reading through chapter one, all of it. Um, but for the series, uh, just if you would, like bookmark your Bibles, move that little, uh, that little ribbon thingy to that point in your Bible, or start a Bible plan if you use the app, if you prefer the Bible app, um, totally encourage that, but if, if that's, start there. So if you have your Bibles, or turn on or open a Bible to Daniel 1, that's where we're going to start. And so I just think you'll find it helpful and enriching to dive into this on your own as we explore this book together, okay? So I'd like to start off today, um, typical Austin style, with a question, Okay, and so I want, you, I want us to consider this together. Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt out of place? Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt out of place? Maybe it was a new job, a new school, a new community. Maybe you moved into a new town, or to a new home, maybe a new church. Hopefully not this church. Hopefully it'll make you feel welcome. I don't know. It's always rough that first time, though. I get it. Have you ever found yourself in a situation or a new environment where you were just out of place? You felt awkward, maybe a little bit on edge? I think a lot of us have. Um, I know I have many times, um, but I'm also kind of an awkward person. So I tend to just create those moments. 
Um, but perhaps the most glaring uh, one that I could think of when I was preparing for this uh, was, when, was a time when Morgan and I went to California to visit some friends of ours. Okay, and so we, we are going to visit some high school friends. They moved out there. He, he was in the Marines. Uh, they got married. We went out to go kind of visit them, hang out with them for a week. And we went to church with them. Okay, and, and it was awesome. It was totally normal. Everything was normal, like super kind. We walked in, like it was great, nothing out of the ordinary. Okay, and then worship starts. And like out of nowhere, like hula hoops and ribbons and like twirling and like, I'm kidding you, it was like all over the place. And like I was somewhat confused because I was like, did you have that hula How'd you hide? Where was the hula hoop? <laughs> like I... I was like, what in the world? Like, I was more just kind of like, holy cow, there's a hula hoop. And, and then, like, ladies doing ribbons up front. I'm fairly certain, now that I think back on it, um, that there was a lady up front with, like, um, dumbbells doing, like, worship alates for the, for the whole church. Okay? And so it was intense. Actually, I think, like, the lady next to me was like, hey, Siri, start a workout right before worship. So it was, it was, it was, it was just interesting. It was something I'd never been exposed to. I'd never been around. And so um, I was definitely wearing the wrong, uh, wrong kinds of clothes uh, for that worship ses- session. And I absolutely uh, felt out of place. And so because of that, I found myself feeling self-conscious maybe a little bit anxious. I just didn't know what was going on. It was unfamiliar to me. And so that's because I think when we find ourselves in situations or environments where we feel like an outsider or out of place or maybe that you don't really belong, I think it can bring about all sorts of emotions that are very understandable, right? Very understandable. You can feel a little bit nervous or fearful, anxious or angry, defensive or divisive, Like, all of those things are are honestly perfectly normal when you find yourself out of place. And over the last few years, I would imagine all of us has found ourselves or has felt like we've been in a situation where, in our culture, where we have felt out of place. And this is partly because culture has always and is always shifting underneath our feet, like the tectonic plates under the earth, okay? And when they shift abruptly, that's when you get a earthquake. Where are my science people out there, okay? Come on. That's when an earthquake happens, okay? And and I think that is like what we've experienced as a society in our culture over the last few years, right? Like in all of these tense issues from politics Sexuality, gender identity, abortion, climate change, issues of justice and gun control. You know, all of the topics that we agree on. (laughs) Or really just the ones that we reserve for tweets and Facebook posts, right? That's a little more of a dig. I like to go there sometimes. Okay, so, and with all of these issues shifting under our feet, the question as followers of Jesus, is how do we become more shaped into his image, Christ's image, within a culture that wants to shape us into its image? Or how do I follow God in a godless culture? When culture shifts, which it, which it has always done and it always will, But when it does, I think there are three typical responses from Christians, okay? And the first one is freak out. Holy cow, what is going on? 
things can't get much worse, I fear for the world that my kids and grandkids are going to have to grow up in. Seriously. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus, come back soon. To which, honestly, I'm always shocked to hear that because there are so many people that still have yet to hear and know the gospel of Christ, the good news. Friends, we can't forget that Jesus promised us that in this world there will be trouble. But to take heart, why? Because I have overcome the world. Jesus, not I, Jesus. Jesus has overcome the world. So really, there should be no such thing as a pessimistic Christian. Thoughtful, yes. Concerned for the world, absolutely. Heavy-hearted, of course, 100%. But hopeless, defeated, and cynical, no way. Absolutely not. Because there should be a joy, friends, deep within us that regardless of our circumstances, because of the presence of Jesus within us, there is also, too, a foundation of joy. And so that's the first typical response is freak out. Holy cow, what is going on? Second, separation. Okay, which is like what I'm referring to is just this, this subculture where Christian just becomes more of an adjective. When you've got your real, actual Christian church, you know, the one down the street, and your Christian school, and your Christian music, and your Christian bookstore, and your Christian coffee shop, and your Christian dentist, and your Christian auto mechanic, and your Christian friends, Christian whatever. And I'm not saying, I'm not implying that these things are bad, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that. I am offering a word of caution, is that if we're not careful, we can begin to look down on the very world and people that Christ came to that died, that Christ died to save. So, freak out, separation, and the third is blend in. And I think this is happening more and more as we face pressure from our culture and society around us. I think partially because um, we don't know how to respond to the very difficult and challenging questions um, that culture is shouting at us. And so we just, we blend in. And I also partially think because it's easier. It's just easier to blend in. It doesn't take a lot of work. We don't ruffle any feathers when we do because we're not dangerous to anyone. And there's really nothing, nothing distinct about the way that we live our lives. But I think there's a fourth response not as typical, and I think that's exile, or rather a way of exile, because we are exiles. As followers of Jesus, we are exiles. We come under the belief that we are not home, but also, too, that we aren't just passing through, as I've heard before. We live here. So how do we live here? In exile. Daniel first um, modeled this for us, and then Jesus. A way that was distinct and holy, or set apart, but also very close to the world culture and people around them. Or in the words of Jesus, to be salt and light 
right? Because salt enhances whatever it's in, and light is a beacon and a path in the darkness. And so the book of Daniel is going to be our guide over the next four weeks as we learn about what it means to and looks like to live in exile. And so I just want to quickly say, and we'll dive into this more in a, in a later week, that it's important for, under, for us to understand that exile is a major theme in the Bible. Um, it runs from the beginning of the Bible all the way through it, okay? But it kind of is this unsung theme. It's not something that, that we really consider or talk about. But the Bible was written by people who had gone through and experienced exile. And so this is something that we have to come to understand in order to help us to better understand and relate to the God of the Scriptures, that he is a God to the exiles. And I just don't think that's something we really grasp or even try to grasp or really even think about as we're reading the scriptures. But it's really important. And so I think, like I said, we'll dive into that on a, on a later week. But today I want us to, before we really get into Daniel 1, chapter 1, okay, we need to kind of understand, we need to lay some groundwork, some context, okay? The, the book of Daniel is split into two halves. We've got stories about Daniel and his buddies, Right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? Yep, you know, yeah, that's right, sound like gibberish. Uh-huh, Shadrach, Meshach, we'll, we'll talk about them later. Okay, and then the second half is dreams and visions, okay? Or, or even split up differently, there are so many connections in the book of Daniel, it is insane. Like, the, even the way that the chapters connect and, and, and the way that they're split and divided and that half of the book of Daniel is written in, in Chaldean, or, or Babylonian, and the other half is written in Hebrew, and like it's done for a purpose. We're not going to dive into that today, but it's really interesting to think about. It is so intentional the way that this book is written, okay? About Daniel, this book covers 40 years of Daniel's life, okay? Daniel was taken into exile when he was, it was most likely around 13 to 15 years old, okay? So he, he was a young man, okay? And so, and, and here's the more important thing. It was 70 years, and of that 70 years, Daniel is just a beacon of what obedience and faith to God looks like. Only 20% of people in the Bible finish well. Daniel stays faithful his entire life in exile. The last thing I think is kind of interesting is, is that Daniel... He kind of gets, uh, he, he gets labeled as a prophet now, but Daniel, was, Daniel wasn't a pastor or a prophet or a priest. Like he was just, he was just, he was in a royal line. He, he, but other than that, pretty much, a, pretty much a normal guy. And so it's kind of one of those things where I, he, he, I think we can relate or should relate in that sense. Like he, he was just an, really an average Joe. We'll, we'll find out in, in verse 1 that he, he was without blemish. You know, he's probably attractive, and he was smart and all those things. Okay, we'll get to that verse. We'll get to that verse in a little bit. But he, he wasn't a prophet, pastor, or priest. I think that's really interesting. So there's some context for us. We'll dive into it a little bit more as we get going. So verse 1, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he had carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. First, whenever you're reading, like, names in the Bible, um, just read them fast. You'll get it right every time or at least you'll sound like you get it right, okay? 
So first, it's important to note, um, I, I think this is, we can get caught up on this. Like, the Lord handed over, the Lord delivered, like, his people to, to, to exile, to Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon? Like, what is going on? First, I think it's important to note that God is the one in control here. It's sort of like when I hand the remote uh, to my daughter, Ophelia, um, and she thinks she's in control when she's, like, pressing all the buttons, pointing it at the TV, okay, and, she, and like, what she doesn't know is that the batteries are out, okay? <laughs> like, really, I'm, I'm still in control of, of what we're watching and how it's all going, okay? But, so, so even though God hands over Israel, he is always in control. But that get, that, again, that doesn't really answer the question why. Why would God do that to Israel, his people? Well, God established Israel and then established rules for Israel to obey and thrive under. Like these were, these were rules for them to live a life abundantly in Christ, in relation, not in Christ, in relationship with God. Christ was there in the moment. Tangent. Back to the point, okay? It was, it was set up for Israel to thrive, to be a, a nation holy and set apart so that people can look to Israel and be like, what are we missing so they have these, they have these rules, and, and for example, here's one. Every seventh year, they were supposed to give the land rest, okay, meaning that they would have to work hard and steward for six years so that they could rest and let the land recuperate. Okay, that's why people, like, when they say, like, oh, yeah, the, the, the Bible is like basically talks about, like, you know, rule and subdue over the land and make it do what you want it to. It's like, dude, God put in, like, rules so that the land could thrive alongside humans. And so it's one of those things where this is one of those rules. Give the land rest, it was a very simple rule, and yet one that Israel didn't do a single time. For 497 years, not once did Israel give the land rest. And you might be thinking, well, so what? So what? I mean, that's, that's, that's really not a big deal. Okay, and I'm sure the Israelites probably thought that too. However, the moment that you begin to compromise on the little things, it only leads to compromising on bigger things. You guys, compromise is the kryptonite to obedience. Compromise is the kryptonite to obedience. Compromise paves the path for disobedience, which in turn lead to, leads to a spiritual numbing or blindness or slumber or darkness that leaves our hearts in a place that's susceptible to idolatry. Right? Compromise, compromise is one of those things that says, it kind of whispers in your ear, it's like, you know, just this once. Just this once. It's not, it's not really that big of a deal, right? That's not a big deal. No one will know. No one will know. That's the best part about it. No one will know. One more episode. Which usually turns into like two, three, and then five more episodes, if we're being honest. We all know the direction Thoughts like those lead. When we do not do the things we ought to do, we begin to blind ourselves to the reality of Jesus. And it's not like these things happen overnight. It's not like you lie once and then like you're the next day like doing crack on the streets. Like, that's not what I'm saying, okay? And that, that's not how it works, okay? The numbing or blindness takes place over many small and seemingly insignificant compromises in our obedience to Jesus, and the moment that we lose sight of Jesus, friends, I'm telling you, the human heart, the human heart was made to worship. It was made to worship. And if you can't see Jesus, it will find something else to worship. Whether it's your job or your kids, yes, good things, 
can be idols as well. Anything that we elevate above and over our relationship and allegiance to Christ. So this disobedience, all right? This disobedience on Israel's part only led to more heinous acts to the point where Israel had just become so corrupt and in the habit of rebelling. And, and here's the deal. Like everything else God tried didn't work. And so God hands them over. And like, here's the deal. It's not like God didn't warn them. Okay? God absolutely warned Israel for hundreds of years to come back to him. Turn away. Turn away from your idolatry and injustice. Turn back to God or you will go, turn back to, to me, he says, and, or you will go into exile. And despite hundreds of years, prophet after prophet, warning after warning, God finally said enough is enough. Their injustice had gone on for too long, and so God removes his hand of protection from them, and within just a few years, Israel's sacked. Israel's taken captive and sent into exile, into Babylon. So pick up verse 3. Then king ordered Ashpenaz, quick and fast, chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Ladies, this one's for you. If this, this should be like on your, on your window or dash or whatever, wherever you put it. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. That's the man you're looking for right there. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding but also not really, I guess, I don't know. Loving Jesus is super important. Okay, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Okay, that's what this, that's what this guy's job was, to pick out men of royal lineage, okay? He had to make sure they were handsome, okay, without physical de- defects, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, right? Okay, so they're wise, they were sharp. Okay, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace, okay? And then he was gonna teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. All right, so these, they, they've been kidnapped, Okay, they've been thrown in, they've been taken captive, forced to walk over 700 miles to Babylon, and then they're being selected to become assimilated into Babylonian culture. To be taken in, to become Babylonians, to erase their identity. We'll keep going. The king then assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And usually this meant like a part of that whole deal would meant that there would have been female servants, okay, as, as well as the food and wine would have been served um, in, in most likely in some of the articles taken from the temple in Jerusalem, okay, or in Judah. So they were trained. Where are we? Okay, daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official then gave them new names. Again, this is part of this. Listen, you, you, aren't, you aren't from Israel anymore. You are no longer in Israel. You are a Babylonian now. And so they give them these new names. Okay? To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. Fast and, fast and quick. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Okay? And what's interesting, this is kind of a quick little factoid here, is that Daniel, in the entire book of Daniel, never refers to himself as Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar. He always refers to himself as Daniel. Even more interesting than that, when, when we have looked at the, the, the translations um, and the original languages, Every time, every time that these Babylonian names are written, they are misspelled. And at first, they totally thought, they just didn't know how to, how to spell, the, spell the names. And then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they realized that it was intentional. 
Like, come on, that's so punk rock. Like, these guys are straight up, like, like sticking it to, like, no, this isn't who we are. And we're going to, like, intentionally misspell all these names. It's so cool. So anyway, so um, we're back at verse 8. Okay, they, they're given these names. They're given this, they're given food and wine, which most likely wasn't kosher at the time, which means it was, it was probably defiled in some way, or even on the, on the artifacts from the temple. Like, they weren't supposed to, to eat and drink from those. Okay, it would be dishonoring to God. Same with the food. If it wasn't kosher, it would defile them. So, so Daniel, verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I want you guys to underline or highlight or whatever you want to do this verse, because this is an important verse. The resolve, specifically that word resolve, is so important when it comes to our obedience to Christ, to have resolve. That resolve to walk in obedience, friends, is one of the natural outcomes of our devotion to Christ. Resolve is one of the natural outcomes from our devotion to Christ. Because if we're not really devoted to Him, then we're we're not really going to obey. We'll compromise. Little by little, over and over again. And a lack of obedience in your life, friends, is evidence that Jesus is not Lord. I know I've said this before, but I think it's a great point. The, the beauty and just the, the, how captivating it is to see Jesus as Savior is so beautiful and so good. And we want that. We want that because we know that there's something wretched in us. We know that there's, that there's a better way to live. And we need help. And then sometimes we squirm. We squirm at the idea of Jesus as king because that means obedience. Verse 9. Now God called the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord and King who has assigned me your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would have my head because of you, which is quite true. Like Nebuchadnezzar, like if he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, heads rolled, okay? One of those guys. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance to that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, if you think this is some kind of like biblical, like, you know, kind of inspiration for keto, you know, it's not. Although it could be. Vegetables are good. You should eat more vegetables and drink more water. Like, that's that's true. It's in the Bible. Okay. Um, But... The point here, the point here isn't, isn't that, it's, it's, it's about Daniel's resolve and Daniel's obedience and how God provided God's provision 
in his obedience in 10 days. Healthier looking, better nourished. 10 days. God's hand is in this. And so to these young, and then we'll keep going, to these young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could then understand visions and dreams of all kinds. We're going to talk about resistance next week. Viva la resistance. We're going to talk about it next week. But friends, if we want to resist, which I think is our first inclination, if we want to resist and rise up, We've got to get this right first. We have got to understand that obedience and resolve takes place first. Then God can elevate, lift you up. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in this whole kingdom. Ten times better at what these, these, this pagan culture's best was good at. Ten times better. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus which was over 70 years. Through different kings and kingdoms, Daniel remained an influential figure in exile by resolve and obedience. This book, the story of Daniel, is a roadmap for us. It's a roadmap of how godly people don't just survive in exile, but as we read, under the provision of God, thrive, thrive in a godless culture. Daniel lived for God in a way that was winsome and influential. He didn't just survive the godless culture around him. He thrived in it. He was promoted. He was viewed with influence and respect. And when Babylon tried to indoctrinate him, Daniel held on to his distinctiveness and didn't compromise. He didn't compromise his faith. This story has a lot to offer us today as we find ourselves living in a society and, and culture that places itself above and over God. And I think as we dive more into this, it's going to help us stay, find ways, and, and learn how to stay obedient to Jesus without separating ourselves from the world and without compromising and conforming to the world. What does it look like to live on the knife edge of faithfulness to God in a godless society it takes resolve, obedience to Christ, salt and light, salt and light. It takes a vision of the good life, an understanding of God's, God's plans for you and the path and it takes the resolve to say no to compromise. Compromise is the kryptonite to obedience. Maybe you're here today and you're on the fence and all this talk about obedience is just kind of freaking you out. I get it, right? All that sounds like a lot, like whoa, whoa, that's too much. Don't cage me down, whatever. that freaks you out, if it sounds like a lot, I get it. 
And I will never get up here or pretend and tell you that following Jesus is easy. Because it's not. And if someone told you that, they were lying. (laughs) Because it's not easy. And it wasn't meant to be. Narrow, Jesus says, narrow is the gate. And difficult is the path that leads to life. And that way is Jesus, the way of Jesus. And, not, and Jesus doesn't just say he, he, the, the life. He, he talks about life to the full, life abundant. The fullest kind of life that you can have and experience on earth. That isn't easy. And it's going to take resolve. And it's going to take energy and effort and a community of people Daniel had Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It's that knife edge. He didn't separate. And he didn't compromise. It's that knife edge of faithfulness, faithfulness to Christ, to God in his kingdom. What does that look like for you today? Maybe you're here and you're here this morning. You've been following Jesus for a long time. And maybe you're starting to consider, consider the possibility or the ways that you've compromised in your walk with Christ. I think that's a great place to start. But I would ask you, also ask you to consider where can you begin to practice obedience? And what does that look like for you this week? Just this week, as simple as this week. What does that look like for you? Where have you compromised? And where can you begin to practice obedience? Friends, this is so important. In a culture, in a time, in a society that's godless, that wants us to conform. This is so important for us as followers of Jesus to be distinct, to be salt and light. Can I pray? I'm gonna pray for us and then then we'll worship and, and go about our days. God, this morning, today, um, this is a difficult word. Jesus, and as I was preparing it, I was reminded of your grace and your mercy. God, it's true, you know our hearts. You know our stories, you know our deepest secrets, you know our thoughts, and you love us. I pray that love changes us. I pray it turns our hearts, it softens our hearts and turns us to you. So as we dive through and we look at what it means to live in exile. Jesus, give us grace for ourselves and mercy for ourselves. Forgive us, God. Help us to forgive ourselves and to forgive others. And then God, strengthen us 
Grant us, give us the resolve to be obedient to your word and to your way, Jesus. And show us what it looks like in our lives. Personally, collectively, as a community, as a church, what does it look like, Jesus? And lead us. Be our vision, Lord. And then provide for us, God, as you provided for Daniel. God, we want to thrive, and we don't do that apart from you. So we choose you, God, today. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.